Well, we are working our way through the book of Romans, and we've made it all the way to Romans chapter 14 now, where it is absolutely clear that as long as the church has been made up of sinners saved by grace, and that's how it's always been, there is a huge need for us to figure out after God saves us, everything's not done. How are all these sinners saved by grace going to get along and actually love each other? Before heaven, I know we're going to love each other when we've got our glorified bodies, but right now, we don't have that going on. Sin is still real. How are we going to love each other? If you've been a part of the church at all for any length of time, if you grew up in the church or you've been a part of one, then surely you've seen this up close for yourself. We do not all think alike on every issue. And what we have decided that we do think about certain issues, we feel so strongly about, it is hard for us to even imagine that some other brother or sister could have chosen differently and still love Jesus. It just calls into question whether they even know him or love him. I'm glad somebody can laugh. Sometimes it's funny, but most of the times it's just really sad. Some Christians drink alcohol in moderation. Some Christians have chosen not to drink it at all. Some Christians have no problem watching an R-rated movie if there's some redeeming value in it. Other Christians have decided categorically to never watch an R-rated movie. It doesn't matter what it's about or what what the deal is. Maybe even a PG-13, period. If the rating's that, we don't watch it. Some Christians enjoy all kinds of music and others have decided we're only going to listen to Christian music that has Christian lyrics that is edifying us continually while we listen. Some Christians, take a deep breath and buckle up, vote Democrat. You need to understand that in all seriousness. And they love Jesus and they've chosen that on purpose while others vote Republican or something else altogether. Some Christians teach their kids about Santa Claus. Others don't. Some Christians participate in Halloween activities. Some don't. Some Christians are passionate about homeschooling while others have chosen to partner with the public school or Christian school. Some Christians allow their teenagers to date even after I kissed dating goodbye. Josh Harris wrote that, not the Holy Spirit. So some still allow their kids to date while others guide them towards courtship or something else altogether. Some Christians have their children vaccinated while others have great concerns about that whole deal. Some Christians take advantage of epidurals and hospitals and modern medicine while others think it's wonderful to have births at home in the bedroom or bathtub and are very committed to that. Some Christians use birth control while other Christians think you should have as many children as God just blesses you with. Some Christians and mothers breastfeed while others give them formula in a bottle. And even all the mothers that breastfeed don't agree because some breastfeed on demand while others put their children on a schedule and think that's better. Some mothers work outside the home while other mothers choose to stay home. Some mothers are really wound up about organic and eating clean while others are still handing out Pop-Tarts and Fruit Loops to the glory of God. Have I been a pastor a while or what? And oh, listen, I'm just getting started. I haven't even, I haven't even touched on credit cards and debt and I could go on, but I just wanted to stir it up. So I think I've done enough. So here's the question. Now that you feel that, here's the question. Can Christians who all love Jesus And believe in the same gospel that saved them and solved their biggest problem. Still hold different values and make different choices in some areas and issues of living the Christian life and raising their families. Very good. Hope you understand. The answer is absolutely yes. Yes. Get this. God never intended for the local church to look like the Stepford Church, where everyone is just a clone of everyone else, where we all dress alike, think alike, eat alike, decide alike on every issue, big and small. No, but that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us. We'd feel more comfortable if everyone was doing what we're doing. And I don't want my kids around someone. And someone might just feed my kid a chicken nugget. 
Like they can't go and play at her house. It's got to be organic. We get all wound up over things and separate into little categories based on these kind of issues. But what does the Bible say about differences? And are we the first group of Christians to run into this problem? I think not. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to read the entire chapter and actually on into chapter 15 because this is an example of where it's a very poor chapter break. I hope you know the chapter breaks and the verses are not inspired. Those were added much later in the history of the Bible. This is an example of where you need to keep reading on into chapter 15. I know it's a big chunk of scripture that I'm going to read, but guess what? It's a big issue. And so I want you to hear everything that God's word has to say about this in Romans. Make a note. I didn't put it in the bulletin. But if you want to think about this some more, 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 8 also touch on this same issue. Those are the three places in the scripture that comes after this issue. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 8. I'm going to ask you to stand because I think it might cause you to actually keep paying attention and not take a mental vacation on such a long reading. Stand so that you're uncomfortable while I read God's word. And you can't just kick back and take a vacation. Ready? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe it, does not observe it to the Lord. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then... Each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore... Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of you please his neighbor for his good leading to edification for even Christ. Did not please himself. But as it is written. The reproaches of those who reproached you. Fell on me. 
For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Woo! I got to go, 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 go. There's so much that I want to try to do with this passage. So here's what I want to do from these verses that we just read. I want to show you five guidelines from these verses. Actually, four from these verses and one that I'm just going to tell you. For living the Christian life and shaping your own personal convictions in areas where God's word has not clearly spoken one way or another. Okay? Five guidelines. But I'm going to be honest with you. The very first guideline did not come from these verses. I just feel the need to put it out there as a big disclaimer. So here's my first point. Big disclaimer. You should obey without question all clear commands in the Bible. That's not up for grabs. This chapter is not talking about clear commands. It's talking about those areas where God did not clearly make it obvious and say, do not do that, do this. Wherever God's word has clearly commanded, folks, we obey. We obey. So I want to make that clear as we dive into this chapter that Paul in chapter 14 is focused on helping us sort out between each other. How are we going to get along and how are we going to make decisions when God's word has not clearly spoken one way or another on an issue? But folks, you got to recognize God's word has clearly spoken on so many things. Everything is not up for grabs. This is not a chapter encouraging you to form your own opinion, come to your own convictions on every issue. If God has spoken, we are to submit all the time, every time, in every age, regardless of how odd it makes you look or how out of step with the culture you will look. That's not what we're talking about from Romans chapter 14. In fact, obedience to God's word is one of the biggest indicators of new birth and that you are a believer, that you are a Christian. You obey God's word. You want to obey God's word. You, you want to know what it says. It's not a burden to you. That's what the apostle John was talking about in 1 John 5 when he said, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God And keep his commandments. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And then it's interesting. He says. And his commandments are not burdensome. So the Christian is not running around. The born again Christian. Who knows God. Loves God. Is not running around. Looking for some loophole. Or finding some way. To get out of obeying God's word. And and they're not looking to marginalize. The authority of God's word. And to push it to the side. So that we can get more in line with what the culture is telling us to do more and more. That's not what Romans 14 is about. It's our joy and it's our delight as believers. We've been set free from our sin condition and our self and our flesh. And it's a joy now to say, I don't have to do just what I feel and what I want. I'm free to do what God says. And he's filled me with the Holy Spirit. And it's a fight sometimes and it's a struggle But it's not a burden. I don't find myself saying, I wish he hadn't told us this. Our heart should be like the psalmist in Psalm 119 that says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Let me just hit it head on and tell you what I'm talking about. For example, in our day now, our culture is so sexually immoral That I'm finding more and more Christians are just adopting the mindset of the culture and the attitude of the culture. We've got Christian singles who say they love Jesus, know Jesus, born again, biggest problem's been solved. Just jumping in and out of bed with each other, having sex, moving from partner to partner and saying it's just kind of how it is today. Living together, having sex. God's word has clearly spoken and calls it fornication and says it's a sin and says he will judge it. That hasn't changed. We're not talking about, well, I've shaped up a new conviction now based on kind of what I feel. No, no, no. If God's word is spoken, submit 
joyfully every time, all the time, in every age. And more and more, we are going to look odd the further our culture goes wide of God's standard and God's holiness and God's purity and God's goodness for us. You're going to be out of step. We're not supposed to rethink everything. God's word says adultery is a sin. That, that is when you're married and you're having sex with someone other than your spouse. And sadly, it's rampant in our culture. And I have to tell you, sadly, it's often in the church. And nothing's changed on that, folks. It's sin, and God says he will judge, and we are to avoid adultery, avoid fornication. Homosexuality, sex between two people of the same gender, that is a sin. God's word commands that. It's absolutely clear in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and other places. That has not changed. We're not supposed to rethink that based on the ruling of the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter what man, what organization, what ruling body in our nation says something differently. We have to submit to God's word and his authority. So that's not what we're talking about. Everybody clear? Amen. Where God has spoken, we submit. But there's stuff that comes up in life that you think, I don't have an absolutely clear Bible verse one way or another. I've got biblical principles. I've got to wrestle and draw conclusions. That's what Romans 14 is about. So here we go. That leads me to my second point. What guidelines does he give us for when Christians disagree, especially when they disagree? Number two, main point, you should establish in faith with biblical principles all your own personal convictions established in faith with biblical principles. In other words, study, pray, read, wrestle, dig into God's word. But listen to me, look at me for this. Make sure your personal convictions are based on a biblical theology that's drawn from biblical principles and not a personal meology. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I run into, and I see it a lot. Christians who just settle in with, this is just kind of what I feel. This is just kind of what I think. This is what I saw in my home growing up, so it must be right. This is what the first person that discipled me or came alongside of me in the Christian life told me, so I adopted that. This is what my favorite celebrity pastor on iPod has said, so I've said, okay, that's what I'll believe too. This is what this author that I like to read has said. I'm not talking about an author of the Bible, author of other books. But you've never studied and wrestled with the scripture for yourself. Folks, even if we all go to the Bible and and make our convictions based on a biblical theology, there's still plenty of room for conflict. But if we all start settling into and resorting to a personal meology, we'll be all over the map and conflict will be off the chart. One of the greatest hopes that we have for unity and love as believers with each other, folks, is that we're all at least starting with God's word. And we're a church that still makes much of this. We're a church that isn't going to start just throwing verses on the screen, PowerPoint. You don't need to bring your Bible. We use the Bible, all of it. And we want to do what the Bible says, all of it. And even in areas where it's not absolutely clear, we want to make our conclusions and convictions based on wrestling with at least principles from the Bible. Develop a biblical theology for your conviction, not just personal me-ology. But here's the deal. Study, pray, read, get counsel from other Christians that you respect, and form a conviction But when you form a conviction, you're still not done. Hold that conviction with a hand of humility and a heart of love. Now, I'm talking about on those areas that aren't absolutely clear, even the ones that are clear. I'm to love the person that struggles with same-sex attraction. I'm not to hate them. So I'm loving there. But I don't have to hold that view loosely and say, well, I could be wrong. God's word is clear. But in these areas that I rattled off, birth control, homeschool, public school, drink, not drink, R-rated movie, not R-rated movie. On these issues, folks, form a conviction and hold it with a hand of humility and a heart of love that acknowledges two things. You ready? This might shock some of you. It might have been a while since you thought this. I could be wrong. I'm not wrong. That's part of the problem right there. I could be wrong. And secondly, 
Secondly, God could actually lead other Christians who love Jesus, maybe even more than I do, to choose differently. Shocker, I know. That's what this passage is teaching. So those two things, for example, let me give you some examples. Because of, we, see, we need to acknowledge we all came to Christ on different paths, different journeys, different experiences, different, different difficulties and traps and problems. You may, as a believer, after you come to Christ, come to the conclusion he could convince you of a conviction in an area that other believers are absolutely free to do. But he convinces you you're not. For example, you may be a guy that comes to the conviction, I cannot go to the beach anymore. I mean, like, we're past bikini when it's just a string up her bottom and I see her whole bottom or whatever it is. It's just too much. I I end up sinning the whole week we're at the beach. You may come to the conclusion, I cannot go to the beach. Here's the danger. You also decide any Christian man that still goes to the beach... He's sinning just like I did. I know he's thinking everything that I thought, doing everything that I was doing, and he should make the same choice that I have. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let me give you another example. You may become convinced by God's spirit and wrestling with scripture principles that for you, you absolutely should not have a credit card. You cannot be responsible with a credit card. You end up buying things you don't need with money you don't have, and you're convinced I need to go cash only. Not a problem. But don't judge Christians that are pulling out their Delta Gold American Express and buying things with a credit card. They may be paying it off at the end of the month, but they're spending more than they normally would. Leave that to the Lord. That's not your job. You're you're not to be their judge. You could be convinced and convicted of something And someone else may not be wrong to be doing different. Don't judge or assume they are sinning because I'm so convinced of this for me. Good. Be convinced for you. Just don't lay it on everybody else. And that leads to my third guideline. Number three, you should be fully convinced in your own mind. Now watch this. Look at me as I say it. Because I want you to feel the... You should be fully convinced in your own mind, yet not despise, destroy, or condemn other Christians that choose differently. Do you feel it? Like, I could do that easier, Brad, if I wasn't fully convinced, if I had, if my position was shot full of holes and doubts, and no, I've gotten fully convinced now, so they should too. He says, be fully convinced in your own mind And then don't despise or destroy or condemn those who choose differently. How can you do that? Well, it starts with this. Do the hard work of cultivating strong convictions. He actually pushes us in this chapter to, yes, cultivate. He actually says, some of you are wishy-washy. Some of you are just watered down. Some of you are undecided. Some of you are filled with doubts. Get past that and become fully convinced in your own mind. And if you're thinking, what? That's just going to make the problem worse, not better. That's like throwing gasoline on the fire. You would think on a human level, but often is God's word not different than what we would have come up with? You would think on a human level, it's better to tell everybody, if God's word doesn't clearly command it one way or another, just hold it very loosely and just say, I don't know. I don't know. Why bother trying to sort that out? I don't know. God's word isn't clear and we're just going to fight about it. So let's just not come to any strong conviction. He doesn't say that. That's not the answer. Paul doesn't say that's the solution. Look at it in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let me put you in the ballpark. Their big fight in that day was some people, Christians, said some days are more holy than others and certain things we've got to do. And it was all left over from their Jewish past and they were wound up with it other christians understood hey that is all over when christ came fulfilled the law died rose again it's a new day it's a new deal i don't have to treat any day differently there were some christians that meat was being offered as as an offering to idols and then that meat was sold half off at the marketplace so there were some christians like absolutely don't buy that how can you eat meat that's been offered to an idol and other christians were like whatever 
There are no idols. There's the one true living God. That means nothing. I'm getting meat half off. Hallelujah. Feeding the family. And these Christians were judging, saying, how could you defile yourself? And they're saying, food has nothing to do with it now. It's not what you eat. There was the argument. That was the biggest conflict in their day. Not birth control. No one had it. Not homeschool versus whatever. That was their deal. Holy days and eating meat that had been offered to idols. Look what he says. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The word in the Greek there is a word that means to fill up a container or a jar till it's overfulling. Fully convinced. The metaphor then, metaphorically, he is saying, get completely filled up with your position, what you believe and why you believe it. Not half full, not half baked, not, I'm not really sure. Get fully convinced in your own mind. And you're like, how's that gonna help, Paul? Well, for one thing, folks, one of the biggest concerns for Paul in this chapter is that weaker brothers or sisters would begin to do something that they're not sure they should do. So that'll help. Get sure what you think you can do and not do. And then don't do what your conscience will not allow you to do. So he's saying, get fully convinced. But then don't despise or condemn or destroy those who choose differently. And it's, it's stronger, folks, in verse 5, it's stronger than just a concession. You're allowed to have your own opinion. It is in the imperative tense, a command. Get convinced. Get fully convinced. You don't know yet about birth control? Study it some more. Get convinced. School choice? Study it some more. Get convinced. What movies you should watch? Where? Get convinced. He's saying, be, it's a command. Be fully convinced. In your own mind. Now, why would he go that route? Here's what I believe is going on, folks. Here's why I believe Paul charges us to be fully convinced. Because the goal for the church is not uniformity. It's unity. Unity, not uniformity. Stepford Church. We all wear the same clothes. We all eat the same. We all think the same. We all make the same choices. Unity is the goal, not uniformity. Because God is most glorified when the world sees all these people who agree on one big thing. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that solved their biggest problem. And then they keep looking and saying, oh my goodness, but look at all the differences. Look at the diversity. How Do they love each other and keep from exploding and splintering in all these directions? It causes the gospel and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be raised up to where the world would say, that just might be worth giving some attention to. What power there must be for that kind of diversity, for people to still love each other and have humility and for not to... And see, here's what breaks my heart. You'll hear of it. There's this church where everybody there homeschools or there's this church that everybody does Bill Gothard or there's this church that... And they'll tell you, nobody drinks. It's a sin to drink. And we'll tell you what rating of movie you should go to. You could find a church like that. And often the thought is that would be better. Why don't Brad and the elders tell us? Just tell us, just tell us. Because God gave you the Holy Spirit to live in you. And he wants to put on display a kaleidoscope of diversity, not with sexual immorality, right? We've cleared that off the table. Oh, some sleep with their girlfriends, some don't. That's really cool. No, that's not cool. But we're talking about Good grief, some are passionate about homeschool. Some have their kids in public school. Some are serving at the local Christian school and are very involved and grateful for that and helping. Some I see them drink in moderation. Others I know don't drink at all. Some, you don't want me to rehearse the whole thing again, do you? But they love each other. They haven't splintered off into, I gotta find my, but so often the thought is, I don't like being around other Christians that have chosen differently. It makes me uncomfortable. You know why it makes you uncomfortable? You're not fully convinced in your own mind. That's also why he says, get fully convinced in your own mind so that you can relax around other believers and not feel threatened 
and then not judge them and not despise them and certainly not destroy them. Fully convinced in your own mind. That's when the world will say, what is this? Listen to me. If the only reason a church family has love and loves each other is because they're all doing the same things in every area of life, that's not biblical love. That's not supernatural. That's nothing to put on display. Even the world can pull that off on a regular basis. That's a club. That's a clique. And that's an affinity group. We're all together because we all like this. We all think this way. Anybody can do that without the Holy Spirit and the gospel. Is this making sense? That's why it does break my heart. I don't want us to become the homeschool only church. I don't want us to become the you must drink church. You've heard me. You know I drink. You don't have to drink if you don't want to. In fact, some of you should not drink. I would believe that the Holy Spirit, if you were listening to him, would have led many of you to not drink. You should not say, but Pastor Brad drinks. He's even mentioned bourbon. Here we go. You, you take that up with the Lord. Take that with the Lord and you wrestle and you decide for you what should you do. And oh my goodness, God did not want us to put on display an affinity group with the same thinking and hobbies and choices. He wanted to put on display something much greater. How can that group of people that are so diverse and they strongly believe what they believe? What? And yet would love someone else and not judge them or despise them or destroy them. That's when God gets glory. So become fully convinced in your own mind. So some of you need to go home. You're not going to settle it in a day and make yourself a little list. What are the things I really haven't settled yet? And work on that. Become fully convinced in your own mind. I hope you're hearing me. And don't spin on out of our church when you realize, well, there's not tons of people here that think that way. I better go find a church where lots of people think that. But then don't sin against each other. Who choose differently. Look at verse 3. Let not him who, dis- who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him-, him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Here's the two dangers. The Christian who has the weaker conscience and thinks, I shouldn't do that. The temptation and the danger is when they see any other believer do what they believe they shouldn't do. They judge and say, How can they do that? Don't they understand you shouldn't be doing that? I know I shouldn't do that. Maybe they're not even saved, but at best we know they don't really love Jesus like I love Jesus because if they did, they'd be doing what I'm doing. Okay, there's the weaker person judging. Over here, we got the stronger Christian saying, don't you understand? We're free in Christ. It's not about do's and don'ts. And they despise the weaker and they look down and say, get a life. Put on your big boy Christian pants and grow up. What is with this, all this legalism and lists and prohibitions and can't do this and can't do that. And whoo, you're so bound up and wound up. One day when you grow up, you'll be like me. Despise. See the difference? Judge, despise, and consider immature. But then he gives us another thing to consider. And it's all through this passage. So if you're here and you're the stronger Christian with a stronger conscience... You need to understand that God puts the bigger burden on the stronger Christians with a a conscience that gives them greater freedoms. Because he goes on to say, he warns the stronger Christians to make sure you do not destroy a brother or sister over issues of food and drink and small issues. Be careful, he says. Be careful. Because think about it. The weaker Christian with the weaker conscience and has greater sense of I can't do that, has only one choice, to not do that. The stronger Christian who has a conscience that they know they're free to do that actually has two choices. You know you're free to do that, and so you could. But you also could not for the sake of your brother or sister. Does that make sense? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Here's the mistake that sometimes people make. If there's any weaker Christians that think, here's the list of what we can't do, as soon as they share it with the stronger Christians, everybody has to give up whatever they're doing and everybody just align with the weaker Christians. That's not what the passage teaches. The passage says, don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. That's what you want to avoid. So a weaker Christian who just says to you, I can't believe you drink beer, or I can't believe you would drink bourbon, or I can't believe you'd go to an R-rated movie. Once they inform you that they disagree and they have a conviction differently, that's not them stumbling. 
That's them telling you what you th- they think. You don't have to say, oh, okay, I guess I can't go. It's when the weaker Christian who in their conscience does not think they can do it, does it because of you. Or you try to persuade them to do it. That's stumbling. Otherwise, we would have a church that looks exactly the same because as soon as the weaker brothers or sisters announce where their position is, everyone has to just go there. That's not what the passage is teaching. But there's a caution. Look in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And then he says to us, oh my goodness, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than food and drink and all these issues, homeschool, birth control. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, joy. Don't get lost in these issues. Then look at chapter 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let me confess something. As I studied this this week, God convicted me that I have sinned and I have conducted myself wrong according to this chapter at times in the life of our church. So I want to confess to you and ask for your forgiveness. And here's what I've done. And as I studied this, I saw that's been wrong. I have put all weaker Christians in a category of they're legalists. They're legalists. Folks, the definition of a legalist is someone who thinks you have to do all these things or not do these things to get saved. That's legalism. This chapter is not talking about legalism. Every believer in the chapter, whether weak or strong, understands salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's a question of what can I do now in the Christian life. They're not saying... You have to not drink to get saved. God won't even accept you until you stop drinking. You have to make sure you only go to certain movies for God to accept you. That's not what's going on here. So I have been wrong. I have too quickly and too often, and I have considered them immature. And considered every weaker person. When you grow up, read your Bible some more, you'll you'll think like I think. The passage also doesn't teach that. There could be mature Christians who love Jesus and have walked with him for years and they are oaks of righteousness and they know him better than me. They know God's word better than me. They love him more than me and they have convictions different than me and they may never shift over here. Notice the passage doesn't tell the stronger ones to instruct the weaker ones to get over here. Also doesn't say that, tell the weaker ones to form a coalition and meet with the stronger ones and get them... It tells us to leave each other alone and love each other and respect each other and assume the best. So, there have been times I've said things and just slung it into a sermon, kind of a little zinger. And it was driven by harsh and I wanted to shock and shake those weaker Christians that have this position. Because in my mind, they're legalists. Let's get back to grace. I have been wrong and have sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? That was weak. Thank you. So don't hear me saying I'm giving up my freedoms. I'll never drink again. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm going to be more careful. My job is not to try to shock and shake any weaker conscience Christian to realize, oh, we should drink. We have the freedom to drink. That's what's been wrong. So please forgive me. I intend to do better. Let me show you a fourth guideline. Number four. That we can see you should be driven by love for others and the glory of God more than proving a point or promoting a cause. And that's kind of what I was guilty of. I want to prove a point. I'm sort of promoting a little cause here. You should make loving others and glorifying God what your life is about. Not proving a point or promoting a cause. And it can happen to anything, folks. You can be guilty of this in anything. Why? Because you're fully convinced. You're fully convinced that this is right. So let me give you some examples. Let's wait. If someone comes to you and asks you to explain your position, say, hey, tell me about homeschooling or tell me about public school and why you, why you chose to public school. We're wrestling through that. No problem. But for some Christians, I sense their greatest cause This is what I live for, to see that everybody else understands this is what you must do and should do. So we shouldn't be rushing to young ladies in our church who are pregnant and kind of talking to them like, if you love Jesus, surely you're going to homeschool, right? You're going to homeschool. There is no other choice. Like, please don't be stupid. Don't do that. 
So Vicky and I homeschooled the early years, and then we sent our kids to public school. We do not go up to people and say, now you understand, you want to, you want to send them to public school so they'll stand and they'll have to decide what they really believe and they be salt and light. I could build a case for my side too, folks. We don't do that. If someone calls us or calls Vicky and says, hey, I understand you started sending your kids to public school. Why did you do that? How has that gone? I'd like to talk to you. We talk. If no one asks, we don't say. I think we should all do that. Otherwise, a lot of it is you're promoting a cause. And sometimes Christians are more passionate about one of these causes than the gospel and Jesus Christ. That should be what you live for, the gospel and Jesus Christ. We're reformed. We believe in election. Hope that didn't shock you. But I've seen Christians like their goal is to convince their mom, their dad at Christmas time, all the brothers and sisters, every other Christian that you got to believe in election. Please stop. If you see that from scripture, wonderful. I agree with you. But there's something more important, leading people to Christ, sharing the gospel, living for Jesus. Not I live now to convince all other Christians to become Calvinists. You can get this wrong on any number of levels, folks. Let's practice loving others and glorifying God rather than proving a point or promoting a cause. Paul says, after you're convinced of what you personally should do, assume that those doing differently actually love God just as much as you do. Look at it in verse six. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives thanks to God. Paul chose, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to describe both sides with exactly the same phrases. Do you see that? Nobody loves God more. The people who choose not to eat, do it as unto the Lord, and they give God thanks. The people that choose to eat, do it as unto the Lord, and give God thanks. People that choose to drink in moderation, do it to the Lord. He's given us all richly things to enjoy, and give God thanks. The people that don't choose to drink, Do it as unto the Lord and give God thanks. You don't see any different. No one is more mature than the other. Nobody loves God more than the other. But be fully convinced in your own mind. Don't just shift over because you say, well, I see some people that I really like over there. I'll do that. Fully convinced in your own mind. And after you're convinced of what you think you should do, let love limit and temper your freedoms so that whenever liberty collides with love... You give way to love and you're willing to lay something down. Here's the way I would say it to you. Just because you're convinced you can, I have the freedom to do this, doesn't mean you should. And just because you can in some situations with some people doesn't mean you should at all times with everybody. Does that make sense? So there's limitations on my freedoms and I want to be sensitive again Not to just yield to someone who's saying, I have a different view, you've got to stop that. But a person who is stumbling and being caused to do what they know they shouldn't do because of you, you say, I'm willing to stop. I'm willing to lay that down and not resent them or despise them. Because go quickly go to Galatians 5. Let me show you a few verses. Galatians 5 is the chapter, very helpful chapter, that I believe I was misinterpreting when I was treating all people with weaker conscience as legalists and saying, I'm not supposed to yield to a legalist. I'm not going to put up with that. He was talking about related to justification and salvation. Listen to it in, in Galatians 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed... See, there were people that had rushed in and began to teach. Oh, yeah, you believe in Jesus and he's, he's the way you're saved by faith. But you've got to add circumcision. You've got to add. And that's when Paul said, take a stand and don't yield to that for a second. But that's not a passage regarding, oh, that's how I'm to treat Christians who have a weaker conscience. They're not saying you're saved or not saved by these things. They just have a different conviction. I am to yield to those Look at verse 12. To those that are trying to add to salvation and come up with a list of do's and don'ts, look what he says in verse 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. The word in the Greek is emasculate, castrate. I'm not going to put up with that for a second. I will not yield to you on that because they're messing with salvation. But look at the next verse. 
Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Every believer who has a stronger conscience that thinks they have greater freedoms on a certain issue, always remember, you have two dangers. You could take it too far and just be indulging your flesh. He says, don't let this sense of liberty lead to indulging the flesh. And secondly, make sure you're not trampling over, over other people. Love, love. Look at verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at this verse 15. Here's what happens if we don't practice what Romans 14 is teaching us. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Hey, the world's already coming after us. Satan would love for us to get all wound up coming after each other and biting, devouring each other over smaller issues. He says, don't let it happen. Don't let that happen. But let me give you one final guideline. I want you to see, number five, how Paul undergirds this whole argument over smaller issues with big theological truths. It's apparent all through the chapter that Paul's convinced one of the best solutions to us not destroying each other over smaller issues is to bring the big issues up front and center and remind everyone, this is what we all agree on. This is what we all agree on. This is what we all agree on that's changed our lives. He, for one thing, he brings it back to Jesus. Look at Romans 14, 8 to 10. He brings it back to Jesus. Romans 14, verses 8 to 10. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of the living and the dead. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In, verse, in chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, he brings it back to Christ and says, Just like Christ didn't please himself, but, but laid aside some of his privileges, Listen, stronger Christians with a stronger conscience that that, that gives you greater freedoms, you will never lay aside more than Jesus laid aside for you to become your Savior. It's like, okay, we're talking about food and drink here. Oh, don't hold on to that tenaciously. Jesus laid aside more than you'll ever give up to take on flesh and come into this world to be our Savior and turn back the wrath of God. And so he reminds us, both weaker and stronger Christians... He has received you both. He says, God has received them. There's not one of them God's holding at arm's length saying, as soon as you get more grown up on this, then I'll really accept you. Nope. He's accepted the weaker. He's accepted the stronger. Then he also reminds us in this passage, you're going to give an account to God. God is our judge. Don't judge each other. Don't despise each other. It's not your place. That woman is not your servant. That man is not your servant. God is the master. He'll take it up with them. We'll all stand before God. And then thirdly, I think it's interesting and very encouraging. He reminds us God is going to finish the work that he started in the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And he is going to see that all of us finish well. God finishes what he starts. Let me show you what I'm talking about in verse 4 at the end. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. God may take that weaker brother or sister on a different path than you, but he's working in them and he's going to finish what he started. God may have that stronger brother and sister on a different path than you, but God is working in them and he's going to finish what he started. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Be listening to the Lord. Study the scriptures. Have a biblical theology, not a personal meology. And make loving others and the glory of God your greatest cause, not proving a point or promoting a cause. Now, as I close, let me tell you what this might look like. And it might feel a little awkward since I haven't done anything awkward yet. As I prayed about this and thought about this, I know this is not easy. But you know what this could look like? That would really take this passage and say, let's live that out. Let's live that out. Homeschool moms, cultivate a friendship with a mother who has her children in public school or Christian school. Reach out to each other. I know there's an affinity that some of it just, you're hanging out more with homeschool moms. You're together all the time, so those are my friends. 
Let's show the world and it'll have to be intentional. And yes, it might be awkward, but let's have friendships that cross into different camps. Mother spending the mother who's convinced of organic and you're downloading all these recipes on Pinterest and stuff. Actually have a mother over who shows up with a bag of chicken nuggets and don't judge her and don't think, I don't even want my children to be around that. They might want that. Oh, dear me. I have to be around organic only. Let's not do that. Men, if you drink beer, don't only watch sports with men who drink beer and think, I don't want to be with guys that have chosen not to do that. I don't want to give it up. I want to be willing to lay aside and have water or a Coca-Cola while you watch a sports game to be with a brother who that would not perhaps be good for them for you to drink, but you're happy to give it up. Let's be intentional about crossing some of these lines, but that's what it'll have to be. You'll have to be intentional to love each other instead of being in pockets of affinity groups. Listen, the danger and the temptation is always to let your unity be formed around non-essentials. Even the world can do that. Let's fight hard against that so that the world would look at Grace Fellowship and say, how do they do that? There must be some power in the gospel and this death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. They love each other. And I know those are very different choices there. They show humility towards each other. And those are very different choices. Oh, God, I pray that you would do in and through us way beyond what we could pull off in our own strength. Just in our own efforts. And God, you have consistently done that. Do that here. Lord, I do thank you that we have people here fully committed to Calvary Christian School and other Christian schools and involved in making a difference. We have people here that are they're part of the public school and, and, and on campus and helping and making a difference in the classroom or with the sports. I thank you that we have great families that have chosen homeschool that are, that are sacrificing greatly to take the time to do this. Lord, I pray that along with all of that, there would be this amazing love that we don't judge each other. We don't assume the worst. We don't despise. And we certainly don't destroy another brother or sister over food and drink and choices where your word is not clearly commanded. God, do your supernatural work by your Holy Spirit so that the world would take note of the gospel and Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.